Hello everyone, this is Shannon Morgan and you are listening to episode 18 of Sound Mind, a place to openly discuss the struggles in our minds, including mental health, trauma, addiction, and more. I'm not a counselor and this podcast is not meant to replace professional therapy. More like somewhere you can go to find connection and learn how other people's experiences can aid in your own journey. Speaking of which, I work in the field of behavioral health as a peer and youth support specialist. Working with both adults and children, I share my lived experience with mental illness, trauma, and addiction in order to connect with clients and help them see that they are not alone. Helping them to share their own story, set goals, build hope, and live more self-directed, purpose-filled lives. And that is the spirit I'm bringing to this podcast show. The website for Sound Mind is soundmindpodcast.com. There you will find social networks, learn more about guests, and where you can leave me a comment or send me an email. And I would love to hear from you, especially if you'd like to be a guest on the show or you have a reaction to the episode. Now, on to today's guest. Alexa Lin is a 70-year-old trans woman going on 28. And I'm here to tell you that is true. The woman has energy for days. Being diagnosed at age 40 with ADHD and bipolar, as well as surviving suicide attempts and addictions to alcohol, drugs, and sex, led to a journey of self-discovery. Through therapy, peer support, and medications, Alexa Lynn came away with an understanding that brought her to find the link between her mental health crisis and her identity. Assigned male at birth and raised with white middle-class privilege, life should have been joyous. Despite success and accomplishments, it felt deeply as if life was happening to someone familiar, yet with no connection to herself. Treatment and recovery were instrumental to both unlocking the family of origin and behavioral trauma, as well as opening the door to self-discovery and living with connection and purpose. She shares her life freely and fully with loved ones and friends and only regrets that this life wasn't possible decades earlier. She's happily making up for lost time. And with that, let's meet Alexa. Hello. Hey, they're there. Yay! (laughs) I knew we'd figure it out. Well, should we jump right in? Um, I guess if you want, I'm a little unfamiliar. What, what, uh, are you just going to ask questions and such or what? Yeah, I ask questions and then we just have a conversation based off the questions and uh, see where we, see where we land. Okay, so kind of like we're driving a karaoke. Yeah, kind of like we're driving a karaoke. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just pretend that's, that's what we're doing and that'll make it easier. Okay. Yeah, no, it's um, it's weird because I just never figure I have much of importance that anybody would want to hear. So, um, yeah, and I mean, I have no um, agenda. I don't have anything I feel like I have to talk about. So uh, however you want to direct it, just go ahead and, and go that way and we'll see what happens, I guess. Sounds good. Well, okay. I know you because you're one of my closest and dearest friends, but can you kind of introduce yourself to everybody listening? Um, Okay, well, this is Alexa Lynn, and um, I don't really know where to start. I think um, my struggles, since it's mental health sort of centered program, um, my mental health has uh, pretty much blossomed, I guess I would say, uh, in a good way since I transitioned. So Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a 70-year-old trans woman. Uh, who feels like about 27 or 28 experiencing <laughs> like that way. So um, I'm really a, a jumble of, of different things, having been a privileged white male and now being something far less than that. It's kind of an interesting perspective on things, I think. I would say. Well, let's talk about um, how you grew up and how that impacted your mental health throughout the years. Um, okay, so I grew up um, in a very 
sort of upper middle class uh, environment. Um, money was never an issue. I lived in a, a lily white suburb outside of Detroit. Um, the family was on the surface very close. I had a bunch of relatives. Uh, what do you get, like 14 or 15 cousins and three sets of aunts and uncles. Um, and it was, we were all somewhat similar age group and things were pretty good on the outside on the surface, but at home, um, I didn't really realize it until I had flashbacks later in life, but I was abused as a kid. And I think a lot of things that I lived as a kid and growing up were definitely impacted by the sexual abuse and the, and the emotional abuse that I had primarily from my mother. Uh, and it kind of amazes me that one individual can be so derogatory in my development, mm -hmm. uh, despite the fact that I had a fair number of other people that were very loving and supportive. So um, I, I just think it's really interesting that it takes far less negativity to really impact a person than positivity in a lot of ways. Yeah, I would agree with that. Totally. And so, but I, yeah, I did all the normal things that uh, a boy at that age should do. And it was really kind of weird because I never, uh, I never really felt like I was that person. I always felt separate from myself. Um, and, you know, growing up, you never know what that's all about. So I just struggled trying to fit in as best I could. So you mean that you felt like you're not in the right body? Um, I guess in a way it would be that I wasn't in the right body. I just didn't know. It just didn't feel like that body was me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, and at that time, I'm not really sure that like when you're four or five, you don't have a great sense of gender differences in a lot of ways, um, in terms of what your body should feel like. It's more like what your expected behaviors are. Mm -hmm. And I just knew that the expected behaviors of me didn't fit with either what I felt about myself or the body that I was inhabiting. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know, because it really wasn't, being trans at that time just really wasn't on on the horizon. I mean, nobody talked about it. It really wasn't a thing that um, normal culture talked about. I mean, I'm sure it was in terms of scientific community and psychological, but and medical, but in terms of most people, it was like nothing. So yeah, it just wasn't the deal. Plus in the area that I grew up in, I had, uh, I mean, it's clear to me that I was ADHD, uh, even from as early as I can remember going to school or just, you know, functioning around the house. And that was a stigma that you know, nobody would even address or think about, you know, it couldn't be, it's got to be, you're just not applying yourself or you're distracted or something that just never wanted to admit that there could be a serious issue. Mm -hmm. a, lot of, a lot of denial. At what age um, were you more, was it more clear to you that you were trans? Um, well, I never really had that name. I know that there was a lot of sexual identity, mm -hmm. um, and roles, expectations in that regards from the time I was probably nine or 10 on, um, that I, I felt that there was something not right, but again, without having any information, mm -hmm. um, you know, to, to lead me in any one direction, uh, even to discovery for self-discovery, it was very limited. So it's tough. I mean, 
you have to realize that this, we're talking like the 1950s and early 60s, and Mm -hmm. there was just no information, you know, freely and publicly available. to, To learn anything, you really had to dig. There wasn't any social media of any sort. Yeah. So you had to just sort of go through life and conform to what was expected, just knowing something was wrong and off about that. Yeah, basically. Yeah. I mean, I just, I I did the things that I was supposed to be doing, um, throughout my life until I realized that, um, I just, I couldn't do it anymore. I mean, I, it took a long time for me to realize that, okay, this, what I was feeling was real. It was something that was valid and that I had to address, um, up until like, gosh, it would have been in my forties probably before I really gave thought to the fact that there was something, um, viable viably different about me mm-hmm. um you know that um others sort of started to display um i think my earliest understanding of anything in regards to that would have been in college when i was like i don't know 18 20 years old and going to a party and spending you know the evening talking with a woman that uh, i later found out was trans uh, mm. That's not what they called it at the time, but um, it was a, a much more derogatory term. But I, I just found it very fascinating that um, here was somebody living authentically, and it wasn't like something that was just a something they did part time or something that it was like an escape for them. It was just something that was that's who they were, and it took a long time for me to understand and realize that it was more common than I would have ever expected. Did you feel, oh, how do I phrase this? Does, did living um, in, in a way that didn't feel authentic, for lack of a better word, did that impact your mental health? Or was it just, well, this is just how it's going to be because that's what's expected of me? It was a little bit of both. I mean, I lived my life with the idea that, well, okay, I don't understand it, but this is what I'm supposed to do. And this is how I get along in life. And when I do these things, I'm rewarded. Um, So that was kind of the way I lived. And because I lived that way, the damage that was caused is what either created or exacerbated all the mental health issues that I had. Um, I think a lot of, I, I mean, I didn't know it at the time. I know it now when I look back because of the difference between when I came out and lived authentically versus when I was trying to do what I was doing. Um, all, all the constraints of what I needed to do to honor myself, they couldn't be done, sort of backed up and, and festered and caused all these other problems. Um mm-hmm. Um, I know, I mean, I don't think it caused the ADHD, but I think it exacerbated it through my, uh, through my childhood and then trying to force everything. I think most of my addictions were a result of, of that. I mean, if anything, cause I live authentically now and I no longer, I no longer have to take my meds and I'm, I'm pretty even keel. I don't have wild swings. Um, um, even my ADHD is much better. Um, I live authentically, so I I don't lie. You know, I don't have to um, cover my tracks, so to speak, or anything like that. I can be open and genuine, and 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 I don't I don't have the same effect. 
Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, it was it it it's what really caused the major block for me in life to live healthfully. Uh, everything, and I, I mean, it's what caused me to be so analytical too. I mean, it was like a a computer in my brain having to analyze every situation I was in, figuring out how the best method to react to all the stimuli coming in that would keep me as favorably positioned in life, so to speak, you know, mm-hmm. whether it be just feeling good enough about myself or achieving a goal or working with others or something. Let's talk about your mental health. You were diagnosed with ADHD and bipolar, which is the same as me. So twinsies. Um, yeah. <laughs> and you had anger, anger issues and suicidal ideations in 1990. Um, what has yeah. been your experience living with those? I mean, relative to, was 1990, where were you at in your journey as a trans uh, woman uh, and you got those diagnoses? Okay, so that was well before I, tra- I transitioned, mm-hmm. well before I actually acknowledged to myself that, okay, I know what's wrong. I know what I have to do. That didn't happen until like 2010 is when I really started being aware and pushing that in myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay, I forgot exactly what you were asking. Um, um, I was asking, so in 1990, you got diagnosed with ADHD and bipolar and you had anger issues and suicidal ideations. What was happening in your life at that time and how did how have you evolved? I mean, you've kind of answered some of that because you said it's better now, but I'm curious how it evolved um, from when you first got diagnosed to now. I, I think at that time it was a situation where there was a... <clears throat> Excuse me. A lot of pressure to uh, succeed in what I was doing. I had left my first wife, and it was about four or five years into the my second wife. We weren't married yet, but uh, we were living together. And a lot of pressures were building to a crescendo in terms of our personal relationship. Um, a lot of issues with regards to sexuality. Um, pressures on running a business that I had started um, that, you know, was a lot tougher than I thought, um, sort of self-sufficiency and and what have you. And I think all of that, um, the first thing that got to me was my alcoholism. And concurrently with my diagnoses and with my hitting rock bottom with alcohol, um, I think it really just sort of jolted my system. And when When I confronted my alcoholism, I think it was the start of acknowledging that there was something wrong with me and I had to to take and correct that before I was ever going to be able to succeed in being the kind of person I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And you you had alcoholism and you also had uh, sex addiction? Yeah. I didn't addiction? realize it was sex addiction till later on. You have sex and relationship addictions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I, you know, it was, it's kind of just very difficult to, to wrap my head around all those things because mm-hmm. I felt like I was doing everything the way I was supposed to be doing it. Why was this affecting me negatively? Um, so all the things that I was told through life that I was supposed to be doing, to, to have everything I should have, I wasn't getting what I needed by doing that. So there was a mm-hmm. disconnect between, you know, should I really be doing that anymore? 
And how did that lead to, well, no, let me back up. I lost my question. (laughs) (laughs) I have ADHD. You are going to edit a lot, right? (laughs) Yeah, I will definitely edit, edit out uh, stuff that it might be good for people to hear me have ADHD moments though, because that's reality. (laughs) Yeah, no, for sure. Um, let's skip to the next question since I can't remember what I was going to ask. Um, how has your recovery impacted your relationships with other people? I think it's, um, well, I I think it's remarkably better. Um, but the majority of the people that, I mean, I truly don't feel that I've recovered or that I really began a good recovery until I actually, um, I think it was all building, uh, from like the early nineties mm-hmm. and I was working on it and it was building and I was taking little tiny steps and I was getting a little bit better and then I might backslide, but then I'd make some gains again. Um, but I don't really think it came to a head and I don't think I really got better until my second marriage started to break apart. And I realized that part of that reason was because of living inauthentically, not, not, being able to be honest with those around me. So all the people basically that are in my life now, with the exception of like two, maybe three people have never known that older person. They've never known that person that was a mess. Um, Mm -hmm. So the person that everybody knows now is the one that really is kind of as the result of working through my recovery to be where I'm at now. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I still, re- I'm still in recovery. I don't, I don't think it's something you successfully complete. I think it's an ongoing process that mm-hmm. every single day I wake up and, you know, work at staying healthy in a sense. Right. So I think it's been, I mean, it's been very beneficial to the people that are in my life now, um, to the few that have been with me in both parts of my life. Um, I think it was kind of unsettling uh, for most of them, but with the exception of one or two, um, it was very, they were very supportive and it wasn't a big issue. It was just kind of like a shock and they had to become aware of it. Um, And I I think being open about my mental health conditions and what have you, even before that time, at, at the different places that I've worked by being above board and saying, well, I understand speaking to a coworker or something, how you can feel that way because, well, I'm bipolar or I'm an alcoholic. I can't drink. So I understand, you know, it's like just being genuine and being open with the fact that, okay, hey, I've got these issues and not trying to hide behind something. Mm-hmm. Um, I really think the majority of people can appreciate that. And if you do it, you know, just genuinely, it it kind of gives them an opportunity to feel a bit more safe, maybe around you or comfortable knowing that, you know, you're not, they don't have to watch for lies, I guess. They don't have to watch yeah. for subterfuge or, or anything like that. It's like, they know that even if I'm not tactful, or if I say something that, you know, bothers me, at least they know it's coming from my heart and not meant to you know, be manipulative. Yeah. I think, I think that, that it just occurs to me. That's my life was all, uh, all about manipulation, whether I was being manipulated or whether I was manipulating circumstances to be able to succeed. Um, 
and, and I don't like that. That's very deceitful to me. So by not having to do that now, that's another big, a big thing that is off the plate that I don't have to worry about it. Yeah. You think about that must be such a huge, <laughs> huge burden gone. It, I mean, it is. I mean, the, the biggest one was just being able to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when I realized when I was going to come out and, and I mean, the, the, when I finally, the first statement I made that came out to come out was when my, my last wife, we're still very good friends now, but when we were going through our breakup after being together for 25 years is when we started, um, she just asked me in one of our conversations, what did you think you ever wanted to be a woman? And I'm like, instead of just poo-pooing the idea and just saying, you know, scoffing at it and say, oh, no, of course not. Just that split second when I realized in my head, what have I got to lose by being honest? Mm-hmm. Um, my marriage is already screwed up. The only people I really care about are kind of distant. So what am I going to lose? And I just, you know, I, I think so. And from that was the f- first time that I actually really acknowledged that within me to anybody else and to the world at large. Um, and she's now accepting. I mean, at the time it really wasn't. It was, I mean, she took it in stride, but didn't want to accept it for, geez, probably four or five years. Mm-hmm. And how was that the 10 years ago when you decided to... Um become a trans woman fully or was that years before that no that was probably about 10 years ago another thing that had happened i mean it's a long a long story but our our relationship started to fall apart in about 2007 um after her mom had died and she couldn't recover um and um, going blank here yeah me too <laughs> um <laughs> but okay timeline no so time I, so it was about that time that i was feeling so isolated and what have you so and it, it through my sex addiction and with our estrangement my ex and i um i began to engage more and more with other people and when we found when she found out about it and we talked about it um, and I started going into the sex and relationship therapy. Um, that was probably the beginning of my journey. Um, from that point, it was probably about 2010 when those the question came out about did I ever think I should be a woman? And then I ended up having prostate cancer and had to have that out. And the subsequent fallout from that. Um, was that I really wasn't able to be the guy that I was supposed to be. And it was almost like it, it didn't bother me. It actually felt good that I didn't have to worry about having to fulfill that role anymore. Mm-hmm. So that was another big awareness for me that allowed me to say, okay, let's let's be honest here. What have I got to lose? You know, I, I could have died but I, I didn't. Okay. And all of these things just led me to the point of, okay, you have to be, I had never confronted my sexual uh, promiscuity at all. 
I had never confronted my lying. I've never, well, I worked on the alcohol, but until then I hadn't, I mean, till 90. So it's like, uh, I think it was just a big thing where it allowed me to go ahead and, and do that. So that was like 2011. And then from about 2012 or 13, I started um, honoring myself more and more whenever I could. At the time, I was living alone, so I could start um, living the way I wanted to live privately. And mm -hmm. I just felt so much better and so much more in tune with myself that every day when I had to go to work, um, I was depressed. It was just killing me. So um, I think it just finally built to the point where I realized, you know, I just, I have to do it. I just, I can't do it anymore. So it was, oh gosh, probably five years ago now that I just finally came out full time and told my boss at the time and everything else. So, What was that like? I was scared. I thought I would lose my job. Um, and he's a, um, He's a really nice guy. I mean, he was a very good businessman, very compassionate and understanding. Um, but I still, being that he was LDS, mm -hmm. uh, being that one of the people I worked with was, I mean, a homophobe, um, I was afraid that, you know, it was just going to be the end of the, the end of my career. But I went and, and told him, um, you know, I, I remember I said, uh, this is, when you see me at work, this is the only time I'm dressed like this. And he kind of looked at me weird. And I said, every other moment of the day, I am a woman and I can't do this anymore. So I don't know how it's going to bode between us or for your, the business or what have you. I said, you've been wonderful to me. I don't want to risk your business, but I can't do this. I'm going to go full time. And if if that's an issue for you in the business, then we'll work something out. And he just looked at me and he said, um, you know, I don't, I don't really care what goes on outside of here. I am mostly concerned with whether you can do the job I want you to do. And that was sort of a cut and dried response. Um, but then the very next moment and what have you, it was clear that he was concerned. I mean, he lost that sort of professional tone and appearance and he just sat down and he says, come talk to me. What does this mean going forward? And then we sat there for an hour and a half for two hours at the beginning of the workday, just discussing it. And I stayed with him for about nine months before something else happened and I just had to leave. Mm -hmm. Not with them. It had happened within me. <clears throat> so the experience, the fear that I was anticipating just never developed. Wow, that's that's cool. Yeah. And then a few of the people that I had worked with prior to that that had no inkling, um, I got together at lunch with one of them and explained the same situation. I had a, uh, a profile on a website. and um, as Alexa. And I met her for lunch and I said, well, there's something I really, I need you to, I need to talk to you about. I need you to take a look at something. She's kind of quizzing. She said, well, what do you mean? So I said, well, here, and I pulled up my iPad and I pulled out the website and I opened up my profile and I showed it to her. And all she had to do was look at the picture and she just turned and looked at me and she said, that, that's you? And I said, yeah, that's how I am everywhere except right now. 
And she said, oh, my God. And I told her what I had just done. And she was like, oh, that's fantastic. So she told two or three other people I used to work with. And they were accepting. We had dinner a few times. But we've kind of gone our own separate ways now. But I know that I was supported. So it was really kind of, it was really good that way. A real positive experience. Yeah. Um, yeah, in fact, I really, the number of negative experiences I have, um, unless I'm just blind to some of them, um, are, I mean, I can probably count them on one hand. That's awesome. Yeah. What tools have you used to maintain your uh, mental health and sobriety? Um, so I guess the sobriety is very easy for me because I, whenever I think, you know, I could have a shot of that or I could try that or that's new. I never had that before. And then I keep thinking, it's like, you know what? I could probably handle a shot, but you know what? I don't want to risk it because I remember very vivid memory of how I woke up in my bathtub, uh, curled up in the fetal position after stumbling home and not realizing how I got into the bathtub. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I got a problem. And that very afternoon, I went to AA, and some of the 12 steps are what I kind of look at to help me through. I'm, I take responsibility for, for what I do and for who I am. And if I'm wrong, I try to admit it. If I'm not, I try to you know, just accept the fact that I'm different, and that's just my point of view, and I can go on. I use positive thinking a lot. I try to think of the fact that I'm not always right, but it doesn't mean I have to be like everybody else. Um, mm-hmm. I'm grateful for the things that have happened. Um, there's coping techniques, I guess, but um, they're kind of like ingrained to me now that I just, I don't really know how to define them. Sure. Just like a routine of things that you do. Yeah, just, I mean, I, I don't like the idea of being like with, toxic positivity, but I do always try to find the silver lining. I always try to find the beneficial thing involved in something even negative. There's, you know, there's a a positive and negative to to life. There's a a yin and a yang, I guess you might say, Mm -hmm. to all creation. So it's like, there is a balance that has to be there. And I just try to find it, I guess. Awesome. Do you have any gifts or abilities? Um, well, in terms of, I think due to, yeah, due to your recovery or your mental health or your, I I think due to the way I lived, um, before really working through recovery or into recovery, um, I'm very creative. I'm very extroverted. I am a type A personality for the most part. Um, I'm compassionate. Uh, I just, I don't like conflict so much. You know, I don't like differences. I like people being able to share their experiences and being able to teach and learn from everything. Uh, And I think that might be one of the biggest things is to realize that maybe we're, we're all flawed in some way or another. And we just have to keep in mind that there's room for all of us. I mean, there's, there's, I'm blowing it. I mean, it's not like there's any great secret. I'm just mindful and grateful for every day I'm alive. I mean, the mm-hmm. fact that I didn't succeed in killing myself is amazing to me. Um, the fact that I can still just walk down the street. I mean, I 
go to the store and feel wonderful being at the store. And it's just like being able to do that feels wonderful. So I just, uh, I just kind of try to think of the good things that have happened. I appreciate every moment a lot better than I used to. Life isn't so much a bother as it is something to uh, celebrate. Mm-hmm. And, then, and that's another big thing. When I was, I had a lot of successes um, through my younger life, yet everything I ever did, I never took any real happiness or real any any pride in, so to speak. I mean, I understood that I should be prideful of some things or I understood I should be happy about doing this or that, but it never felt real to me. It never felt like my being did that. It was always this other individual that was doing those things and I was living vicariously through that. Um, Once going through recovery, I feel much more connected to the things that I do. That's wonderful. That's something I try to do myself. It's not always easy, but uh, every day trying to find the good and good in it and good in myself and give myself props where they're due. So you got to take it in the the positivity along with the negativity. Yeah. I mean, if nothing else is, I kind of make a mental note at the end of the day, trying to think of things that, you know, or, or I try to dwell on the positive, you know, things, the good things that happen, but then I'll also consider, okay, well, this didn't go so well. How could I have handled that differently? Um, just a little quick five minute, uh, some people pray at night or meditate or what have you. And I just sort of reflect back on my day and find some happy things. Yeah. Try to, try to benefit from whatever's happened that day. Awesome. Well, what, what advice would you give someone who's just beginning their recovery process? Um, there's a lot of things that I found, I think first off, you have to, you have to realize that you can't do it alone, that the majority of the work is yours, but the guidance and the support is what's going to help carry you through. Um, I really think having somebody that's in your corner, um, that you know is there for you. Uh, and when there's a doubt being able to sort of check in, uh, sort of, you know, have a know that you're going to get a fairly um, objective response to what you're asking. Um, it was tough for my ex, but I knew that when she would mention to me, uh, did you have your pill? It wasn't that she was trying to control me or trying to scold me or, or be my mother or something like that, but she was concerned because she was able to pick up on something that to me, I didn't see maybe it was a tone of voice or an action or a look or something Mm -hmm. um and she'd be able to know that i don't think you had your depakote today or something you know and it's like oh you know i didn't and being able to accept that input without feeling defensive Mm -hmm. was great i mean it was tough to do a lot of times but once i could get myself into realizing okay there's no reason for her to want to lie to me about this Okay, I had to do mental games of my own, but just being aware that you're not in it alone and you don't have to go through it alone, that there are other people that'll that'll help you either because they know the struggle or because they're compassionate enough to want to help with the struggle. Well, that's all I have with the, for you, Alexa, unless you have any final thoughts to offer. Mm, I don't know. Like I say, I don't ever know that I have that much to 
contribute to anything. <laughs> I thought well, you contributed a lot. <laughs> well, I hope so. I hope so. Uh, if there's one kernel of truth for anybody, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I thought it was a good podcast and there was a lot of good information in there. So I appreciate you coming on the show. Oh, I'm I'm happy to do it. I, I will see you as soon as I possibly can see you because you're amazing. Okay. Well, karaoke, we got to get that going again. Yeah, we got to. I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, me too. Okay, we'll see you then. Okie dokie. I'll see you. (laughs) Bye. Love you, sweetie. Bye-bye. Love you too.